Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week, Johnson and Corbyn go head to head. Mr Corbyn is trying to conceal the void at the heart of his Brexit policy and refusing to answer the question. But was the real punch-up online? Dressed up party lines as a fact-check service. That is dystopian. And can the party's manifestos change the election? What does manifesto mean? Lie. It means a lie. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh. Joining me this week is Paul Wall. Hi Arj. Hey Paul. We've got Rachel Wearmouth also here. Hello. Hey Rachel. And we've got the Conservative Party Deputy Chairman, Paul Scully. Hello, hello. Hey Paul. We've got two Pauls on here, so yeah. I will call Paul War, Paul War. Paul Scully, Paul Scully, revolution. Call me Scully, everyone does. <laughs> uh, so last night we saw Britain's first ever head-to-head TV election debate between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. They traded blows on the economy, health and even Christmas presents. But let's listen to a key clash over Brexit. Mr Corbyn is trying to conceal the void at the heart of his Brexit policy and refusing to answer the question of which side... Which side he would take? Because the public still, the public thank have you. a right. The public okay, have a right you, to Mr. know. Okay, thank you, Mr. Corbyn. Just very, just very I've, briefly, I've Mr. made the position clear. We will have a referendum. We will have negotiation, and we will abide by that result. It's the we've, British people yes, that, who will make you, that Corbyn. decision. That. Paul War, do you think the debate changed anything? Well, it's as the as, what was it? Gandhi famously said, "It's too early to tell." Um, I think actually. <laughs> The, the interesting thing will be, there was a snap poll which showed it was roughly neck and neck. And there were some interesting bits within that snap poll which confirmed a lot of things we know. Jeremy Corbyn's still behind on leadership, but amongst some Tory voters, actually, they were more impressed with Corbyn than they thought it would be. Um, let's see whether or not in the actual headline opinion polls it really shifts the dial. I suspect it won't. Um, and it might well come down to the manifestos that really that's when people can really finally try and make their minds up. But for me, and I might be wrong about this, the sort of big winner from last night might be a sense of sort of, I don't know, apathy. Because some people will just have seen the whole spectacle and thought, God, you really are all as bad as each other. And 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 that will be interesting because if if that does happen, how does that translate? And it might be, I suspect, so instead of voting for the other party, people might just stay at home. And if they stay at home in different numbers, so-called differential turnout, that might actually help Boris Johnson. It might because in those seats where Labour is actually in power, it gained those micro marginals last time. You know, it's like two hundred, three hundred votes, and. There were six, seven million people that watched that debate last night. If if just a fraction of them came away convinced, fine, that would switch things for both parties. But if a, if a, a bigger fraction of them thought, actually, I don't like either of you, this is 
not worth me going out on a winter's day to, to bother, um, then that might be difficult for Labour because actually it needs to turn people out. It needs to get people switching. It needs to people its own support to, to turn out. And if Labour voters, particularly say in leave areas, who might be left cold by the whole you know, prevarication about Brexit. If they stay at home, that might be just as bad as them voting Brexit party um, and good for the Tories. Yeah, Paul Scully, um, this was kind of considered high risk for the Tories. Why would you do a debate when you're 12 points ahead? What did you make of it in the end? Yeah, I mean, I think the leadership things always um, uh, are... Uh, something that, that political parties have to consider in different ways. And uh, I know just from hustings at local level, it's exactly the same. If you're the incumbent, uh, you need to just continue your messaging. And uh, and if you're uh, in opposition, you want that airtime. Um, I think, you know, Boris won on um, the, the really important um, uh, measures. Uh, he's seen as the most prime ministerial, and therefore that's things that we need to get done. Clearly, we, you know, everyone talks about this being the Brexit election. I would describe it as the Brexit election in terms of having a gateway to getting all of the other things done. So Jeremy Corbyn was talking in the, uh, mainly in the abstract because he wouldn't be pinned down to how he was going to campaign in the Brexit referendum that he wants to have, whether it was leave or remain. He was asked nine times. And until you can answer those sort of fundamental questions, how are you going to know where he's going to go and all this other stuff that he's been talking in much the same way over 30, 40 years and just almost like political theory, uh, sixth form theory kind of things, rather than the practical uh, choices that people need in a general election to be making their decision on. Yeah, Boris Johnson relentlessly focused on Brexit to the point where he even said the Christmas present he'd give to Jeremy Corbyn was his Brexit deal. Um, well, it's a bit of a belated yeah. one because I think we're talking about by January the 31st. So I'm sure you, you know, that's beyond 12th night. Yes, and I know, but, I mean, no, he know, was going to give him enough. the text and put it under the tree. That's, that's <laughs> unbelievable. Wrapped up in a <laughs> Would you enjoy it? No, let's not. <laughs> um, you're facing a challenge in your seat of Sutton and Sheen from the Lib Dems. Yeah. Does this... Does it help you for the Tories to be seen as a kind of, you know, Brexit, Brexit, Brexit party? I think it's getting Brexit done party, you know, as a difference from there's a big, big difference from the the party that's actually called the Brexit party, who are um, uh, taking quite a dogmatic view on it. We, as I say, this Brexit is really the gateway to moving everything on around the country in terms of getting the media focus and the parliamentary focus back on the domestic agenda, talking about police, talking about infrastructure, education, NHS, and the meaningful changes and improvements that need to be made. Um, But when I've been going around in my constituency and other Lib Dem facing constituencies in, in around my area, people do literally just want to get it done. They are fed up of the um, the paralysis in Parliament, and it's um, it's the uncertainty that's affecting them rather than the flavour of Brexit. Um, and the idea of revoking it and just going back, there are a handful of people that, that are sort of um, set in the ways of just wanting to uh, to remain at any cost. But the vast majority of people that I come across, that even the, the ones that voted remain, just want to get it done. They just want to move on. Uh, Rachel, how much can we read into the audience's reaction to the leaders last night? Um, well, it's kind of, it's a bit of a funny one because the, these panel debates, they're kind of, the audience is selected based on, based on their political views sometimes as well so it's it's so that it's not too unbalanced so a lot of people already are politically engaged it's a bit like the question time audience but um i would say there was quite a lot of laughter but it wasn't sort of amused laughter it was like derisory laughter and it, it, that gave us a good indication of what people are already tuned into so um there was a couple of big moments when this happened one was um when Boris Johnson was asked, does the truth matter? And he said, yes, it does. And that, that got like a oh, big, big like 
big reaction from the audience. The other one was when Jeremy Corbyn said um, that Labour's Brexit position was clear and that was kind of met with some disbelief. It was, there were some other areas as well. Four-day week one as well. The four-day week, yeah, I was going to say. And um, when Johnson was claiming the NHS was not up for sale. So I think that gives us a good idea of what people are already tuned into at this point, but not, not necessarily what what is going to capture their imagination I think in the they're, quite, they're, they're not exactly fireside chats though. I mean the people that go there although as I say they're across the board they are mm. people that are engaged and I doubt if they're that many floating voters they're people that may yeah. switch but they're, but they're particularly politically engaged so that you could sit here the laughter or the applause was coming from one side then the other and yeah. it tends to move around yeah, like, like question time I, I think the public know that as well they're, they're, yeah. used, they're used to that di- dynamic and they're kind of it's it's something they dismiss to a certain extent as well, I think. Although there is a case next time for maybe not having an audience. I know it sounds mad, but, you know, the audience reaction can sometimes skew the debate and skew yeah. skew the, the, the TV audience reaction. And I have to say, I mean, you know, I thought at the end when the audience interrupted Boris's for closing speech, I thought that was just pretty unfair, you know, that he got heckled. And normally your closing speech is a sort of dignified, respectful silence. And there was a silence for Jeremy Corbyn, but there wasn't for Boris Johnson. I thought that that shows a flaw in the system. And maybe, you know, people have been floating around this 1970s debate, I think, uh, which involved... Uh, couple of people in the EU referendum which which was just a studio and no no audience and actually and a proper debate between both sides and I'm not saying we're going to go back to that but some lessons to be learned one thing I thought was interesting from Paul though from Paul's point of view in his constituency was the line that Boris Johnson last night kept repeating was about you know two referendums in Scotland and I wanted to ask you Paul I remember going around with you and and, and Boris Johnson in 2015 around your constituency and you were camping. he was handing out scully bumps he was. Yeah, and, was. And I remember yeah. it really well. And he did this whole sweep of southwest London in one day. And I remember talking to, to Boris at the time and he said, look, uh, Paul, we're going, we're, you know, I feel something big's happening here. We're, we're shifting really, really big votes. And I didn't believe him. He turned out to be absolutely right. They were shifting massive numbers of votes. The Lib Dem votes just plunged um, and the Tory vote dramatically increase. You've got people like James Berry winning in Kingston, you've got Paul and you've got, you know, uh, Tanya Mathias over in, in Twickenham and they had this big, big surge and part of that some of the Tories at the time were telling me was it was Lib Dem voters alright, it wasn't just Labour voters suddenly saying we're not going to lend the Lib Dems a vote because of the coalition it was Lib Dem switchers to the Tories and one of the main reasons apparently was this SNP threat which was late in the campaign and pushed really hard by Linton Crosby. And the fact that that 2015 playbook is being used again, I find quite interesting. And what did you think, Paul, at the time? Do you think, is it, was it your experience that there were Lib Dems who were switching to you because of that? And you get any of that again this time? Yeah, I think there were two things. There was a, there was a very local aspect, um, in, in Sutton in particular, but across southwest London. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think there are people that are really worried about that because you have, um, I guess, a perfect perfect storm in some ways in parts of London, in, including mine, where you do get the people that voted to leave that want to get it done and see Boris as the guy to, to, to get that. But you get some people that voted Remain um, but are happy that the referendums ha- happened and they just want to see the democracy of it carried through. But they fear Jeremy Corbyn. And the clearest way that Jeremy Corbyn is going to get into number 10 is through um, a deal with Nicola Sturgeon. He's already talked about uh, um, an Indie Ref 2, uh, the once-in-a-generation independent referendum that we may have again. Um, And so that is of concern, and that is something that almost comes on the doorstep 
probably may, maybe even more often unprompted than Brexit itself. Is that is right? I do not want Jeremy Corbyn at number 10. And they can see the that they're wise enough uh, to see the permutations that, to make that happen. Do you do you think that now after we've been talking about Brexit for the last two years that Brexit Have we? Well, apparently <laughs> so <laughs> um, we've been people are more passionate about Brexit than they are about the union and their emotional connection to the union. Um, good question. I'm not sure passionate is the right, the right word, but I just think it's at the forefront. Angry about it. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think it's just because it's at the forefront of, the, of, of their mind and it's something the union rises up, falls back again in terms of media coverage, but Brexit is relentless. It's absolutely relentless and the frustration is palpable. I mean, I know for the last, you know, I've done a lot of media in my role with the party over the last few months and they, uh, newspapers are just saying about how they stop covering it on the front page because their um, readership goes down every time Brexit is mentioned. And these, there is a Brexit fatigue, clearly, which is, again, being able to talk about other issues is going to be so, so important, but we won't be able to do that in a meaningful way until we get past this, uh, past this deal stage. Well, talking of other issues, despite the televised clashes, possibly the most interesting thing to emerge last night was the Tories' brazen attempt at disinformation. Yes, the party tried to pass off its press office Twitter account as an independent fact-checking service. Paul Scully's boss, James Cleverly, was forced to defend the move to interviewer of the moment, Emily Maitlis, last night. Let's have a listen. Dressed up party lines as a fact-check service. That is dystopian. We called out, we were calling out the Labour Party's willful misinformation about the NHS. And every time they do that, we will call it out. And the reason they're doing it is because they are trying to make sure we have this row rather than the row about where their Brexit policy should be. Paul War, I'm going to come to you first. Uh-huh. Why, does, why does this matter? Well, uh, the, my instant reaction was actually this is a sort of distraction technique. And it could be, it might have been an insurance policy if things had gone wrong in the debate. If Corbyn looked like it was winning it, let's just put this dead cat on the table. Everyone can talk about it. It's a big Twitter row. And in, in, the, in, the, in the term, if you're cynical about it, 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 was, it achieved what it was designed to do. It got people talking. Uh, not just it, it goaded people the Twitter Twitterverse, which lots of uh, you know conservatives loathe anyway and think it's too left leaning, <laughs> and, and is and is seen as disconnected from the real world. So it, it goaded people it, that ticked that box, but also it tipped into the TV news. So straight away it was on the ten o'clock news, BBC. It was, an, it was on ITV. So it went beyond the Twitter sphere and it went into the, the general consciousness. And and that's what's interesting about it. And and then you have to ask yourself, well, what did the general public think of that? Do they come away thinking, oh, well, the Tories are just lying? lying liars or do they think actually there might you know there might be something in this that actually Labour's lying a lot and if they're lying a lot and they're all the same then we shouldn't believe the NHS stuff so maybe there's method in the madness I mean overall I don't like the idea of you know it, it just felt a bit studenty to me rather than a grown-up political party it was like the kids had got control of their Twitter account it was it's, it's, it's kind of dangerous though isn't it in the age of disinformation and, and the way Twitter's used but um, Paul Scully what do you make of Paul's reading of it. Why well, did you do this? Um, well, you know, the, as James said, he you know he set the remit with a digital campaign, so they did it. But uh, the the I think the fact is, I'm a little bit more relaxed about it because it was clear that it was said CCHQ Press. It was uh, and, and no one what, knows what that is. Though. But well, no, but what you well, yeah, but Twitter does. I mean, this is the thing. This is why Twitter does not reflect the real world because yeah, you can if you, you know if you're putting that in a whole load of newspapers and and leaflets and what have you like that, then I, I, I'd probably agree with you. But actually, in this rarefied atmosphere of Twitter, people yeah, people that are in engaged in that do know what it is and so it becomes really difficult when you're in government 
it's it's difficult to put the uh, spotlight onto scrutinising the opponent's policies because they can say pretty well what they want. We saw that in 2017. We're seeing that now. This idea, for example, about the NHS being privatised and sold off to, to Donald Trump, all this kind of thing. How many times do we have to say, no, absolutely, at no point is it ever going to be on the table? You've heard it from Boris. You've heard it from Matthew Hancock. Frankly, you've heard it at every election since uh, I was a boy. Um, and, and, and it comes up now uh, and, and pushing back at this because the government has scrutiny all the time. But you don't have to rebrand your Twitter account. I mean, Twitter has said it's a, a, a deliberate attempt to mislead and give you a, a rap on the knuckles, which some would say you're quite lucky for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, well, I, I would I would disagree with that. I don't think it was there to deceive. I think it was there to uh, to, to actually really reinforce the point. This is, we need to make sure that we're checking the facts of Jeremy Corbyn and the opposition just in the same way that we're getting scrutinised ourselves. And do you think it was worth it, Paul, because it worked, because it got on the telly? Because it went beyond well, I'm not Twitter. Sh- I'm not sure is the honest answer. If it, you know, if it's worth it or not. I mean, I'm not. Um, uh, as you say, I'm not that sort of. Uh, what's that? How do you describe it? The student um, uh, twi- <laughs> Twitter operator that's sort of like down with the kids and we can work out all the metrics and these sort of things. But um, but it, I think. It's but was it worth it politically? It, it made the point. I think it made the point. Well, is it worth it politically? Frankly, um, I, I think by the by the time we get to tomorrow, I don't think many people will be talking about it. We've seen this a number of times over the last few weeks of the election campaign that people work themselves up into a frenzy. Usually Twitter works itself up into a frenzy and then something else shiny comes along and they move on to the next thing. Um, this is why you, you have a long election campaign, and in this day of twenty-four hour news, rather than the you know the old days of the fireside chats that we were talking about before, when uh, you look at the daily headlines, um, people can work themselves up in a frenzy and they can calm down quite quick, just as quickly. It's interesting this idea though of, of keeping Corbyn, maybe keeping Corbyn off the headlines, you know, less unfiltered Corbyn, which is what Labour want on TV screens because you're taking up time by having a row about this. Well, it's reinserting a filter, isn't it? I mean, a different kind of filter, saying yeah. you are not, you can't have anything unfiltered because we're going to call you out and we're going to have this campaign. What I think is interesting, though, was, Paul, did they, did you, were you in all these meetings where you said, right, this is what we're going to do in the campaign, in the no. debate? No, so you, I've been you weren't aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> Your hands are clean. <laughs> were any MPs, ministers? I couldn't tell you because I was in something. Uh, I, no, genuinely, I, 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 I don't know. It's the honest answer. I don't want to. Um, give Do you think, in retrospect, it was really a good idea? I, I just, I, I'm relatively, um, uh, you know, not relaxed as one word, just meh. Actually, I think it's just going to be. Uh, uh, this will be over in five minutes. But we have scrutinised. We've actually highlighted the point about the NHS um, not being sold off, and the fact is that the Jeremy Corbyn can't that. tell us. About We're going to come to that. We are. Jeremy can't. Come to that, I promise. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn can't oh. tell us about Brexit. Yeah. All these sort of things. They're just really important to reinforce because otherwise he does get the unfiltered free reign that can just promise anything he can you know promise mother and hood and apple pie but, at no cost but to Brandon the taxpayer. Lewis said it, it, it was worth it because it got cut through do you mm. agree with that well if it's getting cut through great but I, I don't know if it's getting cut through apart from the media coverage so I don't know because we can talk about media coverage cut through or you can talk about what people are actually hearing and that they are often two different things if, if the digital team came to last one on this if the digital team came to you and said, this is our idea, and that, that was it. We're going to rebrand our Twitter account and put If a, they can give a me a full business tick. plan and a full comprehensive, I'll certainly look at it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Come on, you wouldn't have signed that off. I don't think. I, 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 look, I, I would, I'd, I'd, I'd have looked at it. I mean, I'm, I, I, I think it's just going to be. It's a, it's a storm in a teacup. I understand the concern of Twitter. I understand the concern of, 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 of people looking at it. But in, in, in the, the bigger scheme of things, I think it's a relatively minor issue. Yeah, yeah Rachel, what do you think of, of these Tory claims that that Corbyn is misrepresent or, or spreading his own mistruths about the NHS and Brexit and well, a what, Trump trade deal? What Corbyn was trying to say last night was he, was he was referring to the dispatcher's investigation, which uncovered that there had been six informal meetings between um, US trade officials and civil servants about the NHS and the trade deal. So we do know that that's happened and that's that's in the public domain. Um, we also know from some of the consultation papers that have been sent to um, the US government that um, there are pharma companies in, in the US that in the trade deal would like Donald Trump to request that we look at how the NHS buys drugs those are those are things that we do know that's that those are facts so but we should be talking but, about we should be talking about how um uh we the NHS buys drugs because we want to buy them at the cheap, cheapest rate and get them on the market as quickly as possible I mean that's just common sense but the idea that we would actually sign a trade deal that would make it more expensive for the NHS to buy those drugs drugs is just um uh laughable really but there's kind of some more interesting things around the NHS and the trade deal, which I think haven't been d- discussed yet, is kind of NHS data. Have, have we got complete reassurance so that that's not going to be part of a trade deal as well? Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, because these are the same arguments that were coming up with the EU was negotiating the so-called TTIP, the uh, EU-American deal. These are the same arguments that have been rehashed. So, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is using this as, a, a, as again, as a sort of distraction because... Um, it, it was uh, it was an argument he was using when it was the guys that he's now supporting the EU Commission because he wants the he need apparently needs the EU to protect himself against the Conservative government which is again laughable. Um, you know the, we we need to always review how we buy buy drugs but in a in a way that's going to be affordable and um, and most um, effective for the NHS. But isn't the problem that actually you're right? I mean Jeremy Corbyn did go on about TTIP a lot, but I remember looking through recently. Vote Leave actually sent out some tweets saying TTIP is a bad thing because it will lead to the NHS being up for sale. Um, that's that, not, that was Vote Leave was campaign. Vote Leave? I don't yeah. remember. I don't, I've, I've seen an actual tweet. And it, in fact, they that. did a mock-up of Caroline Lucas saying who was making this argument. Like a lot of the left made this argument. TTIP is a bad thing because it lets these American corporations possibly run the NHS. And they retweeted a picture of, of Caroline Lucas without her permission. I've got the tweet. And it's just like... It, in the middle of the whole referendum campaign, it didn't travel very far, but it definitely is the case. Well, there's two, there's two things there. It's quite there. curious, really. Yeah, there's two things there. I mean, because I remember, um, you know, obviously the early days before the referendum, I was responding to constituents about TTIP and uh, saying at the time, there, there, you know, there's no way we're going to put the NHS on the on the table at any trade trade deal. But coming back to pharmaceutical in particular. That's actually not to do with the NHS in terms of selling off the NHS because where do you think we buy drugs from in the first place at the moment? We don't buy them from a state-owned monopoly, as Jeremy Corbyn would have us do under his plan. Uh, We buy them from drugs companies. So it's a matter of how we buy them, at what cost, how quickly we can get them on the market and regulate and those kind of things. Come back to the original point, the term trade deal or no trade deal, we want to buy them at the cheapest, most effective um, way possible. Don't you think it would have been better for Boris Johnson to give that answer rather than the NHS is off the table and Jeremy Corbyn's talking rubbish because this debate doesn't seem to be going away because it doesn't seem to be being had really well uh, uh, you know Boris answers the way he does because he keeps it's it's 
a lot of the debates, this is the problem, the limitation of those kind of debates, frankly. This is a little bit more relaxed. We haven't got an audience clapping and, uh, and hollering. We can, we can uh, make we can that. that yeah. bring that. Yeah. raising you, his eyebrows. <laughs> says, <laughs> says the, the producer brings up the soundtrack of an audience <laughs> as, as we do it, canned laughter and all. Uh, but no, these, it means that you, you have to boil everything down in those leadership debates into sort of rel- not sound bites, but relatively short comments. And uh, I think um, Julie Etchingham, I saw her described as uh, Nurse Ratchet in one of the uh, descriptions with her, um, it's time to move on, it's time to move on, and these kind of things. She was trying to move the pace on. So it's difficult to develop those arguments. So the idea is the NHS is up for sale. No, it's not. Effectively, is what it gets boiled down to, which is why those debates have limited amount of appeal. And I guess you're worried about Labour running away with the, the NHS as an issue because it's historically been well, the their NHS area, is, hasn't it? The NHS is always a big issue. It's always, you know, it's my area where you've got a hospital that's been there for 20-odd years that's, um, that's under dispute and you, you, see it, that you see that repeated around the country uh, because the problem is when you are campaigning, there is a huge difference of view, people's viewpoints if you talk about the NHS or if you talk about your hospital, your GP and your experience within them. Same as education and your children's experience at school. The, the perception and the reality, uh, you've almost got two levels of debate. Well, this week brings the moment we've all been waiting for, with the parties finally publishing their manifestos. Uh, Nigel Farage is less than impressed, though. Let's have a listen. Word manifesto. Let's do a word association test. What does manifesto mean? Lie. It means a lie. We all know, at the last sets of elections, parties issue manifestos because they're telling people what they think they want to hear without the slightest intention of ever delivering them. I'll be launching this week on Friday, I'll be launching a contract with the British people where we will lay out in health, law and order, education and all those areas where we stand. Paul Watt, is Farage right? Are election manifestos now pointless because people don't believe them? Well, the great irony of Farage having said that is that not many people trust his word anymore because he said we are standing in every single seat and this is we're campaigning against this Brexit because it's not Brexit. This is deal is not Brexit. And now he's saying actually maybe it is Brexit and I'll tell some people to stand in some seats and not in others. Um, but on the whole, I mean, I think obviously manifestos really are important because it is the one chance where the public get, get to hold politicians' promises down on paper and they say you know you know did, did you they hold their feet to the fire say you said this you're not delivering this um they do matter and i hope that we don't ever get to a situation where uh, parties have a sort of really thin manifesto and, and it's all broad brush because you know obviously things are going to change over five years obviously there's a bit of slack in a manifesto but if you're going to the country promising things you should really be uh, asked to sort of meet those promises and deliver them the, the whole question will come up i'm sure again about whether or not the office for budget responsibility should be an independent sort of um assessor of each of the manifestos and, and cost them um that that might be a bit tricky for the obr it might it might not um but it'd be nice for the point of the view of the punter who can we believe again this is the whole thing about this whole election who can we believe who can we trust um so it might be it might be useful and if if that did happen i think it would it would be interesting because it would force self-censorship on the parties it force them not to make mad claims that they might think they'd get away with otherwise um and be a bit more rigorous yeah paul scully all the talk is the tories manifesto is going to be very slimmed down 
and it might be launched at the weekend. Can you yeah, shed any light I mean, on that? Yeah, so Nigel Farage, would, uh, I can imagine, understand why he says that manifesto is a waste of time because he doesn't really have one. He just wants to, uh, you know, he's just talking about no deal Brexit and uh, the people that are risking, uh, that are going to risk anything by voting for the Brexit party as a protest are not really going to have much else beyond that and perhaps get an MP in the total opposite of what they actually want. Um, but in terms of the Conservatives, you know, we went into the last manif- uh, last election saying, right, we want to um, get out of the single market, get out of the customs union. That's what this deal does. So we're fulfilling that, whereas the other parties haven't managed to achieve that in what they've actually done. Um, I think there will be it will will be a simple manifesto because it's a simple message. Um, uh, you know, we've talked so much. We've had the Queen's speech where we've set out a lot of the things that we want to achieve over the next year. So, as I said, about getting Brexit done is the gateway to talking about the future relationship of Europe, but also to get the policemen on the street, to level up education funding, to see the benefits of the NHS funding and getting the hospitals built um, across the country, infrastructure. Uh, we, we've been talking about the domestic abuse bill, so uh, and, and making sure that the victims of um, domestic abuse can get um, justice quickly, that they can be looked after quickly, that they, we can start talking about emotional abuse, the sentencing as well for, uh, for violent offenders, child murderers, being, meaning that uh, life is for life. Um, and all of these other issues, but not overly complicating it because there's a very simple messages that people have been asking us to do on a domestic agenda, but all underpinned by getting Brexit done and moving on to that stage. Boris Johnson hinted there would be something on social care last night. Are you expecting a full, fully-fledged social care well, policy? Well, I, I, th- I think... Did it, for you Theresa know, May last time. So he talked, about, um, he talked about um, you know, people not having to sell their homes urgently to, 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 to get... Um, to see care, and I think that's the right thing to do. But um, no, I don't think we will be um, launching. I'd be surprised if we launched into a um, a, a big policy that's going to be um, introduced day one because it's it's such a complicated issue and it's such a big issue that we need to just make sure that we've got um, got it worked out, consulted on, um, rather than just launching into a huge change. There's there's a lot of foundation work being done over the last few years because it's one of these issues that's been talked about, not acted upon um, from the Labour government, the coalition and through us that we do need to move it on but that will take a little bit of time I, th- I suspect to fully form. And do you, you think, think it needs, need, sorry. sorry, I was going to say do you think it needs cross party support to social care? That, yeah. Ideally, ideally the more we can get, get other parties involved because it is such a, a, a big issue, it's one of these things that's um, you know, politicians of any party are not particularly very good at looking at things that affect us over 30, 35 40 years time they're looking at electoral cycles. Social care, as I say, hasn't been tackled over through decades. It's going to affect us for decades unless we get it right first time. And this idea of launching at the weekend, I mean, it's got merits if you do a Sunday manifesto launch because, you know, you get a different kind of audience. People are not necessarily tuned into the news. Sunday audience, you've got a football audience, you've got a country file, uh, uh, you know, Antiques Rodeo audience there. They're sort of floating. Uh, Antiques Rodeo? There's a good pitch to uh, a TV producer. What's on your TV? That's my new monkey tennis. Uh, <laughs> Antiques Rodeo. But what do you reckon about the whole idea of, I mean, Boris it's, likes tearing up the rules, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, Would that be a good it, idea it, it launch does. it uh, weekend? It's, it's an interesting one. I, I genuinely don't know when it's going to be uh, uh, when it's going to be launched, but yeah, a weekend uh, thing. I mean, we want people to be uh, 
are looking at what we're talking about and focusing on what we're talking about. And if there's a, a decent audience there, if people can get over their antiques radio, then, uh, <laughs> then yeah, it'd be great to, um, <laughs> for them to get off the bucking bronco and <laughs> Getting over it is the right word. <laughs> it really is a bucking election after all. Oh, God. Um, I mean, should we expect any rabbits in the hat, do you think, from from the Tories or is it going to be very much reinforcing them? The I messages? think it's, I think it's going to be reinforcing the message. Mm. Uh, you know, we've got, because we, as I said, we've had a Queen's speech. We'll have a budget afterwards. Um, uh, Boris has already talked about, um, uh, you know, not um, concentrating on the corporation tax that we uh, cut that we've talked about um, to move on to business rate uh, review and cuts. And actually, funny enough, I was just with a small businessman this morning and he'd been crying out, buying a panini from him yesterday. And uh, that's a, um, a London for sandwich. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, the guy was talking about his business rates and uh, it was fantastic that I took um, Andrew Ledson in to see him today, just the day afterwards. And we talked about that. So it's these fundamental changes about as we're listening saying are we looking at large businesses or small businesses so there may be a a few changes uh, you know according to that review rabbits out the hat i think it's more likely to be simple and to the point there's one pledge that boris johnson made which he kind of rode back on early on which was this pledge to raise the threshold for uh, the higher bracket of income tax yeah. Would you want to see that? Would you expect? To I see think. That? I think long term, yeah. But it's it, all of these sort of things. It's how you can program them in to to uh, um, a set of circumstances where we've got money. Are you going to build a hospital, or are you going to build, or, or, or you're going to get rid of fiscal drag? The you know where you've taken uh, teachers and um, middle income earners into the higher level of um, uh, income tax, and it's just weighing those priorities, both of which are really really important. Um, but sometimes you know, it may take a year or two longer to achieve than um, than at, at first at first sight. Paul, I just want to ask you, you: you're you know you've got an important role in the in the Tory party structure, and yet you've also you know you've fought um, what was a marginal seat, took it from the Lib Dems. So you have a better picture than most people of not just the national picture, but all the different battlefronts that are in play, including Labour, but also the Lib Dems. Are you are you confident that Lib Dems aren't going to surge in in with this remain of out of the back of it? Are you confident you're going to keep your seat? Are you, do you think you'll get your, a big drop in your majority? I mean, what's it feeling like? Well, I don't expect you to say you're going to lose, but what what honestly, what does it feel like? Yeah, in terms of my seat, um, I think people are genuinely. And I, I know it sounds like a, a just a line, but genuinely wanted to get Brexit done. So they don't see the, you know, the idea about revoking Article 50. I think it, it doesn't seem to be going down particularly well. That's in my seat. But, you know, the, there are going to be different conditions. So you can talk about n- uniform national swing, and that's what a lot of people look at when they're trying to predict the election. But there will be patches, um, uh, you know, in the middle of London will be different from outer London, will be different from southwest where the Lib Dems have been traditionally strong. And uh, and so they will be performing differently in different areas. Their, their dodgy bar charts will be showing slightly different things <laughs> in, in, in each area. So that's the same as the Labour Party. You know, I couldn't. I can tell you what my Labour Party uh, have been like um, historically in, in South London, but they are hugely different from uh, the Labour Party up in the Labour Leave areas of the north, for example. Um, just talking of Labour quickly... Uh, Rachel, Labour's manifesto in 2017 was leaked five days days early and then 
it was seen as a disaster, but then actually, actually the public really liked what was in it and it probably helped them by giving them extra coverage. Can it move the dial in a similar way this time? Although it hasn't been leaked. But. Um, well, a, a lot of it has already <laughs> been leaked or, um, you know, has, has has been around about. I think we know a lot about what Labour already want to do. Um in terms of surprises, I think we've we've had some already. You know the the big twenty billion um, broadband free broad broadband plan. Um, we know that their their Green New Deal is going to be watered down slightly because it was going to be controversial in some of their industrial heartlands. So the zero net carbon target might be more like twenty forty and an ambition rather than twenty thirty. But I think one thing that's can move for all parties at this point is like the female vote like everybody is talking about workington man whereas um you know i think a lot of people have already decided about what they want in terms of brexit but i just wonder if childcare is the big area where all parties can pick up votes now um labor moved towards like a universal free childcare policy um uh, at the pre- one of their previous conferences they've got some good policy on you know what what would might work for new mums like um Free retraining if they've been on, if a woman's been on maternity leave, she could get free free training. I think Lib Dems have got a similar policy with their skills wallet. Um, Boris Johnson this week at the CBI conference kind of hinted that childcare mm. would be something big in your manifesto. I think you've got to make a big offer to women, haven't you? To yeah, pick up some because people are motivated by different things, and uh, you know you can talk. You, we can talk about Brexit. We can talk about. Um, uh, immigration and all these kind of uh, things that really get one uh, part of society uh, worked up and uh, they want to see solutions on that. But you're right, cost of living, childcare in particular in the, in the cost of living, uh, making sure that we've got opportunities for, for, for people's children. Is, you know, working with families uh, and the day-to-day pressure, it's not all about Brexit. Although Brexit is that just that door that needs to be opened so that we can get on to talking about cost of living and the things that people see day to day when they first open their front door what do you see you see your bins you see your roads you see your you take your child to the nursery or whatever and then to school I hope you see your child before the bin well yes exactly this is true <laughs> tripping over the bin that hasn't been collected or something right we must move on to the quiz which fittingly is Yay. this week on election manifestos and pledges oh a little bit of wiggle room for my quiz compiling. It's like fastest uh, finger first, this. So we yeah, just, around, you just, know, just shout the answer it. if you think you know it. Um, first question. In 2005, what was the title of the Tory party election manifesto? 2005. Oh. 2005. Greg Clark wrote that manifesto. And I remember being on a plane with him. Oh, what was it called? It was... Oh... I've got a clue. This, is that the are you thinking what we're oh, thinking? Is it? Yes, area, isn't it? But that wasn't what that it was, was That was what it was called. Oh my goodness me! Mate, I didn't know the manifesto. I've been looking. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't know well done, Paul. Well done, I Paul. thought it was just a slogan. Well, I didn't know. Is that well? Yeah, no, that was yeah. the actual title on the front page of the manifesto. Wow. Uh, Michael Howard's slightly odd slogan was often paired with statements such as "It's not racist to impose limits on immigration," among others. Which Labour copied later, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah pilloried and then copied. Yeah. 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 Uh, question number two: uh, The Ed Stone was a much mocked large stone tablet produced by Ed Miliband during the 2015 campaign, outlining six key Labour pledges. But the party got into genuine trouble over it. Why? Get buried somewhere, didn't it? Uh, no, this is uh, trouble uh, with 
what with the civil service or no pretty health and safety genuine let's just say genuine trouble i can't really say more than genuine that. trouble i yeah. do know that he launched it in hastings of all places that was what was weird yeah and amber rudd's majority and went amber up. rudd's seat <laughs> and amber rudd's majority went up um because there's a woman called sarah owen who's now standing for a safer seat who was who was there at the time um oh why did it get him into trouble I don't know. I, I, I Health mean, and safety risk. Yeah, moving that around, it would be a, quite a thing. 2015 election, there was a bit of this going on in every party. There's a clue. Bit of a, oh, what? The people didn't put it on their local leaflets? or Oh, it was expenses. Correct. Oh. Oh. Scully's doing expenses. very well. Yeah. Right. Wasn't so, yeah, Labour was fined £20,000 by the Electoral Commission for failing to c- declare all expenses relating to the Edstone's cost. Ah, yeah, right. Expensive rocks. So we don't know how much it costs. That was going to be the question. But Lord Ashcroft wanted to buy it on an auction once. I don't know if he actually did in the end, but anyway. Yeah, Ben Fogel said he spotted it somewhere once as well, and then the Ivy claimed to have it, but someone said it was a fake. Yeah. <laughs> Great story. Keeps on giving. Uh, <laughs> final one. Um, Paul Scully's in an unassailable lead. He's Ooh, already what? won, but just for fun. Uh, in 2015, the Green Party leader infamously struggled to explain how much her party's pledge to build 500,000 new council homes would cost. After a car crash interview on the subject, what did she blame it on? Was it a brain, brain fog? Freeze? Brain, brain, yeah. I want fog? the exact term, actually, oh, because... Brain, was it a mind. brain fade? Yes. Paul yeah, Ward. Yes. Finally and, and, and a mind blank. Mind blank. That's Natalie Bennett. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, thank you to my guests for joining me, and make sure you subscribe to Common to People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday, but Wednesday during the election. Uh, and be sure to get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash war hyphen zone or follow the link in the episode notes. In a week where Prince Andrew's car crash interview on his links with sex offender Jeffrey Epstein have made all the headlines, we'll just leave you with Corbyn and Johnson giving their own views on the royal family. Is the monarchy fit for purpose? Jeremy Corbyn. Needs a bit of improvement. <laughs> Mr Johnson. The institution of the monarchy is beyond reproach. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.